Welcome to another episode of the Victory Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Victory Baptist Church in Valdosta, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry and the impact it has had in our community for over 50 years, visit VictoryBaptistValdosta.com. Now let's listen to today's message from God's Word. in your Bible. Good to be back in South Georgia. Amen. And we love your pastor and his family. We had a wonderful meal over there tonight. We had fried chicken. We had macaroni and cheese. We had green beans. And then Mrs. Allen made this green cake. And oh, I tell you, I put a piece on top of my head and praise God I had a a blessing beyond imagination, and uh, enjoyed it so very much. And I always enjoy your music here, and then to be with the Morrison sisters, and uh, only one guy. I tell you, I pray for that man right there. His whole world is ruled by women. Hey, but my world is too. Uh, I tell people all the time, women in politics—that's nothing new. My wife's been the speaker of their house ever since we've been married. And, uh, but the Lord is good. I heard about the story your preacher told about that dog with all them sticks and shaking the stick about the, made me think about this little fella at church. He, he just started telling lies. I mean, these big, tall tales. And his mama said to me, she said, you better talk to him. He's going to get where nobody believes anything he says. And so I said, I'll, I'll fix him. I said, Johnny, now listen, you got to quit telling all them big tales. I said, people won't have no confidence in you. I said, you take the other day, I was at the zoo, and the lion got loose. And that lion run me over that zoo and finally caught me, and he was going to eat me. And I said, Johnny, out of nowhere, come a little old chihuahua dog about that big, and got between me and that lion and ate that lion alive. John, do you believe that? He said, I sure do as my dog. <laughs> you blondes are going to get that. Amen. Last preacher's wife was gray-headed. It's good to see you. Praise the Lord. But I love your pastor. 42 years uh, being in the same church, and that's, that's so commendable. Uh, we've been at our place 39 by the good grace of Almighty God. Julie was 19 and I was 22, and they called us. It was 19 of them, and all of them were senior citizens. But there's one thing about pastoring a church full of old people. They don't want to go ice skating. <laughs> and somebody asked me, they said, why did they call you and Miss Arthur at such an early age? That's simple. They couldn't get nobody else. And I found this out in life, Brother Ward, when you're better than nothing, You'll be amazed at the opportunities you'll get. And I'm glad to be here tonight. I appreciate your pastor letting me use this Pentecostal microphone. Anybody ever heard of Benny Hinn? Well, I'm Joe Rooster, and I'm glad to be here tonight. But we had voice surgery on our vocal cords a year and a couple months back. And the fact that I can even talk is a real blessing. I was having some severe vocal issues and so I went to the specialist there at Northside Hospital in Atlanta, and he looked inside of my larynx and said, man, you have multiple polyps on both of your vocal cords. 
And I said, sir, if I understand it right, polyps are ruptured blood vessels. He said, that's right. I said, how does a Baptist preacher get ruptured blood vessels on their vocal cords? He said, probably preaching like a holy roller. I said, that's exactly right. And uh, he said, uh, I'm going to have to do surgery on your son. And I said, with a knife? He said, oh, yeah. And boy, that scared me to death. Then he said, we're going to check you for cancer. What? That tore my nerves up. And then he said, 10 weeks, clear your schedule. 10 weeks, no talking, no singing, no traveling, no preaching. You got to sit at home and recover from that surgery for 10 weeks. That was scary. Uh, Miss Arthur and I have been married almost 39 years. We have never been together that much. We've never been together 10 straight weeks. That's how you stay married a long time. Don't go home. You can't fight if you're not there. And I'm telling you, it was a spooky time. But to God be the glory, the surgery was successful. The polyps came off, and there was no cancer, and our marriage survived. And so I got to do a little things different. I can't preach on the level that I used to. But I'm telling you, man, faced with no ministry at all, not been able to do anything like that the rest of your life, now having a little more to do for God, I'm a happy and I'm a blessed man. And if I wasn't so full of chicken and cake, I'd run. Praise God. John chapter number six. Thank you, Pastor, for inviting me to come. And I appreciate Brother Joe Moach, young preacher out of our church, driving us down tonight and back. And he's looking for a wife. We're taking applications. I, I sent his picture to the Lonely Hearts Club. They sent it back and said they wasn't that lonely yet. But there may be some desperate female here tonight. And so if you are rich and your parents are rich, apply. Amen. Then you good to see my daddy over here, Greg Lentz. I love my daddy. I've been knowing Brother Greg ever since I was a little boy. He was ugly then and he's ugly now. Can I get a witness? God is good. If you're saved tonight, say Amen. John chapter number six in your Bible tonight. And let's break in the text in verse number 16. John chapter six, verse number 16. And when even was now come, his disciples went down into the sea and entered into a ship and over toward Capernaum. And it was now dark. And Jesus was not come to them. I want to say, not yet but uh, he's on the way. He's not there yet, but he's on the way. Verse 18, And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about 20 or 20 or 25 or 30 furlongs, underline this, they see Jesus. What is he doing? And they see Jesus walking, not under the sea, not by the sea, not through the sea, but on the sea. The very thing they thought would be their destruction, Jesus is walking on it, walking on the sea. And I love what he says, and drawing nigh under the ship, and they were afraid. 
But he said unto them, and I love these three little big words, it is I. And he followed it with three more little big words, be not afraid. I love verse 21. Then they willingly received him into the ship and immediately the ship was at the land whether they went. And I'm interested tonight in that little phrase in the text that said they see Jesus and he is walking on the sea. When the circumstances, when the uncontrollable events of life were over their head and out of their hand, it was under his feet. I'm glad tonight to report to you that the devil is not in control. And Obama, Osama, or your mama is not in control. I'm glad tonight the sovereign God of heaven still sits high upon the throne. I was thinking the other day at some of the words I grew up listening to my forefathers use. You know, Southerners are notorious for just making up words. And I thought they were words they just made up. But I looked some of them up in the dictionary and to my surprise, they are real words. For instance, anybody here ever heard the word traipse? Why that guy traped all around like he owned the place. The word traipse is a real word. It means to walk about. Here's a word that I've heard my wife's mother use down through the years. Uh, anybody here ever heard the word discombobulated? Anybody ever heard that word discombobulated? Well, it is a real word. It is in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, discombobulated. And Brother Ward, when I saw the definition of the word, I said that word fits the day and the hour in which we live. That word discombobulated means out of sorts, out of place, bewildered, confused. We Southerners would say it like this, something ain't right about that. And brother, we're living in a society from the White House to the church house. It's discombobulated. It's confused. It's bewildering. It's morally, politically, religiously discombobulated. But I want to remind you of something tonight. In the midst of a society that's discombobulated, bewildered, confused, turned upside down, our God is still in control. He is not under the circumstances. I'm glad he has owned the troubled waters of our life. And there are three things in the text tonight that proves that our God is still in control. Number one, we're going to look at the disciples. Then we're going to look at the divine. And then we're going to look at the destination. Now, when we see the disciples, that's us. But when we see the divine, that's him. And then when we reach the destination, that's it. And I'm glad one day it is going to be it and we'll be safe on the other side. 
But I've come to tell the church tonight from this side to the other side, our God is still in control. When the waves of uncontrollable, unavoidable, unexpected, unwanted circumstances are out of your hand and over your head, it's always under the Savior's feet. Let's look in these scriptures tonight at the disciples. That's us. The disciples on this boat, in this storm, on this sea. It is a picture of you and I as we sail from this shore to the other shore. Notice three things in the text tonight about these disciples. Number one, I want you to see the darkness that they encountered Twice in this text, we're reminded that this storm, this trial, this difficulty did not come upon the disciples in the morning. It did not come upon the disciples in the afternoon, but it came in the eventide. It came at nighttime. They were going through what I call a dark season in their life. And can I remind you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, that if you live in this real world long enough, you are going to encounter some eventide experiences. You're going to go through some dark times in your life when you're not going to feel God, hear God, see God, and you just have to trust God. But I found out something in the midst of the darkness. He is not only the God of the day, but he's the God of the night. He is not only the God on the mountain high, but he's God in the valley low. He is not only the God of the good time, but he is still God in the bad time. In fact, some of the greatest miracles that are recording in the Bible, God done those in the midst of the darkness. Well, it was dark that night when Abraham stood under the canopy of the stars and God said, I'm gonna bless them that bless thee. It was in the night season when the Hebrew boys ran into the fourth man of the fire in a dark time. It was in a dark night when the Lord locked the jaws of the lion and Daniel experienced victory in the lion's den. It was dark by the river of Peniel when the angel of the Lord got a hold of Jacob and Jacob got a hold of God. It was a dark night when the angels decked the Judean hills and sang, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. It was dark in Gethsemane when he prayed as it were, his sweat became as it were, drew great drops of blood falling to the ground and it was even in the darkness in the middle of the afternoon when Jesus died for our sin. It was an evening time when they placed him in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. But I'm glad Psalm 30 in verse 5 says, though weeping may endure for a night, joy cometh in the morning and there may be a dark season in your life. There may be a dark season in your family but he's still the light of the world. He is still the son of righteousness. He is still the king of kings and the Lord of lords and God is real in control even in the midst of the darkness that we encounter in our life. The darkness they encountered. Secondly, in the text tonight, I want you to see the distance they had traveled. 
The Bible said in our text they had rowed about 25 or 30 furlongs. You say, well, what in the world does that mean? Well, get out your Bible atlas. You realize where Jesus is when he starts telling the story and where the disciples had to go. You see, the miracle right before this is the feeding of the 5,000. And right after, he fed the 5,000 on top of the mountain. He told those disciples, now let's go from here over to Capernaum. And I did the study, I did the figuring to get from the top of that mountain where Jesus fed the 5,000. They had to go down that mountain, up the coast of the little lake, up another hill to get to Capernaum. And it's approximately eight miles. Now keep that number in mind. They had eight miles to go. From where they were to Jesus said, let's go to Capernaum. It was a distance of eight miles. Well, in our text, the Bible said they had rode about 25 or 30 furlongs. Get out your Bible dictionary. Figure out how far a furlong is. Do the math. This is what you get. They had eight miles to go but they had only rode between four to four and a half miles. Now, they've got eight miles to go, and they've only rode four to four and a half miles. Now, I'm not the smartest rock in the box, but I believe this is what I'm saying. They had eight miles to go. They had barely gone four. That means they were halfway. That means they were stuck in the middle. That means that they had come to a halftime experience in their life. They had rode all night. They had toiled all night. And they had only gone half or the midpoint of their journey. By the way, you know what midpoint is? You know what halftime is? That means two things. Number one, you're cut off from the help behind you and you've not reached the help that's in front of you. You know what's bad about being at halftime? You know what's bad about being in the midpoint? You got as far to go as you have gone. And let me tell you, halftime, midpoint, most people give up at halftime. Most people give up at midpoint. But I've come to tell you, you may be in the middle. You may be stuck in the middle. You may be in a halftime period of your life. But halftime is not quitting time. Halftime is not throwing in the towel time. Halftime's not giving up time. You say, what's so bad about being halftime? Well, it's what's so good about being halftime. What's bad about being halftime is you're not home yet. But what's good about it, praise God, you're, you've left where you used to be. I believe we're in halftime. I believe we're in a holding pattern. We're not home yet. We're not glorified yet. We're not in heaven yet. But I'm too far to turn back now. And I don't want to go back to the hog pen. And I don't want to go back to Moab. So in the midst of halftime, hang on, wait on the Lord. He'll take you the rest of the journey. I love sports. I, I, I really do. I love sports. That's why I like deacons meeting. I like it when we fight and fuss and throw things. And man, I thought about this the other day. 
how many games were won or lost at halftime. In fact, if you're in this room and you are a Bulldog fan, or if you're in this room and you are a Falcons fan, just the word halftime chills your bones. I remember one year the Bulldogs were playing uh, this little team from Alabama just getting started, and man, Jalen Hurts was in the phone booth calling for his mama. I mean, we had him on the tightropes. We were running that football down his goozle. And man, I'm about to celebrate. I'm about to be delivered. I'm about to step over, hallelujah, into the land of Canaan. And all of a sudden, and only a Nick Saban would do this. Go get a second string quarterback. Julio, Tulio from Julio. And I mean, brother, go get a second string quarterback and put him in the biggest game of the year. And he made one pass. And I said to my friend Billy Canoy, I said, We've lost. It's over. And sure enough, the dogs got locked up again. I got mad about it and backslid for two years. Man, about a year later, the Falcons, the Dirty Birds, we finally make it to the Super Bowl and we gotta play pretty boy Tom Brady and son for the first half. Them Dirty Birds is running at football down pretty boy's throat. Son, he's in the phone booth dialing 911 and all of a sudden, here came halftime and Tom Brady took that team in that locker room at halftime. I don't know what happened in that locker room at halftime. I don't know if they got saved and sanctified or full of the Holy Ghost. I don't know what happened. But brother, on the other side of that halftime, he did what Tom Brady's known to do. And the next thing you know, the dirty birds is locked up in the cage. And once again, the Falcons' famous phrase, wait till next year. Boy, I found out halftime is when you regroup. Halftime is when you regather. Halftime is when you recharge and you come out on the other side. You say, Brother Joe, I prayed and nothing's happened. I've hoped and planned and nothing's happened. I fasted and trusted God, nothing's happened. I feel like I'm stuck in the middle. Well, hang on, baby. Wait upon the Lord. He'll meet you half point. He'll take you the rest of the journey. I'm glad we're not home yet, but we're too near to turn back now. Keep on going in the middle of halftime. I want you to see the darkness. I want you to see the distance. Number three in the text, I want you to see the despair that they felt. The Bible said they were afraid. Matthew chapter 14, the parallel reading of the passage says they were sore afraid. Can I put those two words in Georgia language? They were scared. And sore scared means scared to death. They were afraid. Let me say this. I've met these people who try to convince you that they're super spiritual and they never get afraid. But I found out something about fear. I found there's two kinds of fear. It's those who have been afraid and those who have been afraid and lied and said they were never afraid. You say, well, nothing bothers me. You've not lived long enough yet. 
Nothing's discombobulated me. You've not lived long enough yet. Nothing's tore my nerves up. You've not lived long enough yet because one day there'll be a knock at the door. One day there'll be a phone call in the middle of the night. One day one of your young ones will fall in your arms and say, Daddy, fix this. And it's too big for Daddy to fix. And the fear will come. And the anxiety will come. And our faith will shake and give over to fear. But I'm glad, ladies and gentlemen, he's the God that conquers our fear. He's peace in the midst of the storm. And when I get afraid, and when I doubt, and when I shake, and when I wonder, I'm glad the foundation of God standeth sure. I'm here to tell you tonight between this side and the other side there will be fear there will be disappointment there will be some hard knocks in life but hang on keep a rowing Jesus Christ is still in control of the affairs of our life and so these disciples that's us Oh, but in this text, I don't want to overemphasize the problem. I want to reemphasize the solution. So I see the disciples, that's us. But secondly, in the text, I see the divine. That's him. Notice how the Holy Ghost put all this together. It's dark. They're stuck in the middle. They are afraid. And all of a sudden, God just butts in and says, and they see Jesus. I felt like preaching right there. I mean, it is dark. They're stuck in the middle. They're scared to death. And God just butts in and says, and they see Jesus. I want to say it's about time. Because up to this point, Brother Ward, all they have seen was their own fear and their own failure. Up to this point, all they had seen is fear and failure in the eyes of their fellow disciples. Up to this point, all they have seen is the turmoil, the fear, the discombobulation, and the disappointment. But somehow now, they're looking beyond the wind. They're looking beyond the waves. They're looking beyond the circumstances and they see Jesus. You say, Brother Joe, you just contradicted yourself. What do you mean? Brother Joe, you just said a while ago, it was dark. It was. But now you say, they see Jesus. They did. You said that's a contradiction. No, it's not. You say, well, Brother Joe, how did they see Jesus if it was dark? Well, you got questions. I got answers. Number one, when you're the light of the world. Number two, when you're the son of righteousness. Number three, when you're the bright and the morning star. Number four, when you're the day star that arises in men's hearts. You just kind of stand out. Can I just run this rabbit real quick? There is no darkness greater than God's light. I'm about to pull a James Brown. I feel good. There is no darkness greater than God's light. 
My soul, the lightning's flashing, the thunder's rolling, the wind is blowing, there's confusion, the waves is over their head, but right in the midst of it, they see Jesus, they see Jesus, they see Jesus. Somebody tonight needs to look beyond your incapability. You need to look beyond your problem. You need to look beyond your storm and turn your eyes upon Jesus, the divine. He's the one that's still in control. I love three things about the divine in our text. Number one, I love this. He's a walking. And they see Jesus walking. <laughs> not under the sea, not through the, amen, but on the sea. What they thought would be their demise, he walked on it. Now, I know I got this TV preacher, Mike, and I don't want to sound like a prosperity TV preacher, but I do want to preach what the Bible said in Romans 8 that were more than conquerors through him that loved us. And let me tell you, the church is not some ragtag army holding and enduring to the end, hoping we make it through. We're the born-again, blood-washed, Holy Ghost-regenerated bride of Christ. And I'm telling you, it's a building that cannot be destroyed. It's a body that cannot be diseased. It's a bride that cannot be divorced. It's a battalion that cannot be defeated. If God be for us, ain't nobody able to be against us. Ladies and gentlemen, he He's walking on it. He's on your pain. He is on your fear. He is on your need. It's under his feet. He's walking on it. Notice the King James in the text. I love it. He's not out there just walking around. He's going somewhere. He has a destination in mind. Read your King James Bible and they see Jesus. Watch this big word now. And he's walking on the sea. Watch this word. Drawing. Drawing. Drawing nigh unto the ship. That word draw in the text, it means to be pulled with force. It literally means to be induced. It means to be overwhelmed with an urge to go in a certain direction. By the way, that word draw is all in the word of God. And 99% of the time draw is on the part of a sovereign God drawing a depraved sinner to himself. For instance, Man in his natural state is not seeking God. Man in his natural state is not looking for God. Man in his natural state is not interested in God. Man in his natural state is fleeing from God. He's hiding from God. He's running from God. But I wonder if there's anybody in this room. Do you remember the day when you got induced You wasn't thinking about God, but God was a thinking about you. You were not interested in God, but God was interested in you. How I many went to church just to shut somebody up? They've been on your case. Come to church, come to church. And you said, okay, to shut them up, I'll go. 
but I ain't going to listen. And I'm not going to pay attention. And I'll tell you something else I'm not going to do when they give that invitation. I'm not going to walk down in front of all them people and roll around like a hola roller in front of that preacher. I ain't going to do that. So you came minding your own business, sitting in your pew, just minding your own business. But the Holy Ghost, mm, I remember that. The Holy Ghost came by your pew and induced you, drew you, got you interested, and before you knew it, you stood up in front of all them people. You walked down that aisle in front of all them people and walked around like a holy roller in front of all them people. You know why? God drew you. God induced you. God pulled you. But aren't you glad God's in the inducing business? He's in the drawing business. He's in the pulling business. I'm glad he drew me. But watch the text. The drawing, the inducement now. Is a sovereign God that's now induced. The disciples are not induced. The disciples are not drawing. They're stuck in the middle. Now here, the sovereign God of glory is induced. Now he is interested. Now he has got an urge. Now he is being drawn. Oh, just let me ask you this tonight. What can induce the sovereign God of heaven to the point that he has an overwhelming desire to come to where we are? I'll tell you this, it wasn't the little boat. It wasn't the stern. It wasn't the bow. It wasn't the anchor. It wasn't the wheel. It wasn't the mast. It wasn't the, no, 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 no. It was them souls. It was those people. It was those disciples on that ship their fear, their call, their desperation had induced the master to come to their aid. You see, he had created them. He had converted them. He had called them. And you know what's gonna happen five chapters from now? He's gonna take them to the upper room and fill them with the Holy Ghost and send them all over the world to preach the gospel. He's got plans for them. He's got big stuff for them. He's not about to let them drown in that sea. He has a purpose for their life, somebody needs to hear this. God's not gonna fail you. God's not gonna forget you. God's not gonna forsake you. He's got something in mind for your life and he ain't gonna let the devil get to you till he gets what he wants out of you. Hmm. Drawing nigh unto the ship. He's a walking. Number two, he's a talking. Not only do I like ways of walking on the water, I like what he's a saying while he's a walking on the water. Get this picture now, it's dark. The waves are high. They're discombobulated. They are afraid. Then here he comes walking on the sea. And then he says, it is I, it is I. Oh, can I run a rabbit if I hurt him? You remember a couple of points ago, I told you there was no darkness greater than God's light. Well, I don't know how much we all know about storms. I'm sure you people down here close to Florida knows more about storms and than people in Atlanta know about storms, but if you got a mother-in-law, you know all about storms. 
I was in Florida in a revival. And the preacher said, we may have to close this meeting early. There's a hurricane coming. And boy, I turned on that weather channel. And man, I'm telling you, you, you know you need to get a life. If all you're going to do is watch somebody cook food and watch the weather. If that's all you got to do, turn on the outdoor channel and watch somebody kill a big buck. I mean, the finer things of life. They don't go over there that golf channel and watch a little sissy swing that little old ball. Be a real man, bless God, and shoot something. Can I get an amen in the church? Amen. I told my, that, that hurt, didn't it, brother? I'm so sorry. I told my old dad before he died, I said, Daddy, you taught me how to hunt. You taught me how to fish. You taught me how to shoot a gun. You taught me how to get a girlfriend. I appreciate that. Dad, how come you never taught me to play golf? He said, we're Christians. <laughs> he said, son, I know, I know, I know fishermen lie, but golfers cuss, and we don't do that. Brother Ward, somebody asked me one time, said, Brother Joe, is playing golf a sin? I said, nope. If you play the way I play, it's not a sin. It's an abomination in the sight of God. <laughs> but I was watching that weather channel. I was glued to that weather channel. And that fell on the, you, have you ever noticed that people on the weather channel, they'll put on a football helmet, a raincoat, and get a microphone to prove things stand out there in that big old wind and rain. I'm here, I'm running. But he had a map on the wall of this big hurricane. Boy, it was huge. And he made this statement. It went off like dynamite in my soul. He said, our eye is on the eye. He said, we're watching this little dot here called the eye. And the storm is going where that eye tells it to go. Glory. And he said, notice, ladies and gentlemen, the eye is not on the east quadrant, the west quadrant, the northern side. He said, it's in the middle. If he'd have been a southerner, he'd have said, smack dab in the middle. And then he made this statement. He said, we've just heard from the hurricane hunters They've just flown through the eye. And I'm trying to figure out how in the world can you get in the middle of one of them things and survive a 145 mile an hour wind. I found out in that eye, the wind ain't blowing. It's total calm. Now before you think I'm ignorant, let me preface this. I know the eye of a storm is spelt like the eye in your head, but... What an eye is to a natural storm. Jesus, the great I am, is to our spiritual storms. Because the eye is in the center of the storm. Guess where Jesus is in your life? Smack dab in the middle. The eye controls the storm. Guess who's in control of your storms? The great I am. And the eye is the calm of the storm. And guess who the calm of your storm is? The rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, the prince of peace, and the bride and the morning star. Just like there is no darkness greater than God's light, there is no disturbance louder than God's voice. 
from what I gather about storms, they're noisy. Thunder, wind, the water slapping against that wooden vessel. It was a noisy experience and a dark experience, but just as there is no, I'm about to enjoy that point. I may run myself on that one. Just as no darkness greater than God's light, there is no noise, there is no disturbance, there is no howling of the winds of adversity that can drown out the voice of God. I'm glad when he speaks, you'll hear it. You may be at the funeral home, but you'll hear it. You may be in a courthouse, but you'll hear it. You may be in a cave, but you'll hear it. You may be stuck somewhere in the valley, but when he speaks, you will hear his voice. No darkness greater than God's light and no disturbance greater than God's voice. And they see Jesus and he's walking and he's talking and he's drawing nigh unto the ship. I love what he says in the last part of our text. And they willingly (laughs) received him into the ship. I'm not trying to be funny, but I just want to say, what a novel idea. I pastored the same Baptist church 39 years, and I'm telling you, I have pastored some people. If this was them, they'd have drowned it because they'd have said to Jesus, it's our boat. We know what we're doing. They say, in our first rodeo, Ben Iron got the T-shirt. We know what we're doing. We've been, we've been raised on this ocean all our life. We, we, got, we got it. Yeah, you got it all right. You got seaweeds down your goozle. But you know what they admitted? We need you. Can I ask you a question? Why do you quit going to church when you have problems? Why do you pull away from the preacher when you got problems? Why do you shut off your brothers and sisters in Christ when you got stuff going on in your life? Oh, the Bible said, forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some is, but so much the more, so much the more. We don't need less fellowship. We don't need less church. We don't need less worship. We don't need less praise. We need to pour it on in these last days. And they willingly, they willingly said, Jesus, this is too big for us. We can't handle this. And I know it's against every fiber of our nature to do that. But ladies and gentlemen, the greatest way to encounter victory in your life is to say, God, I can't. But you can. And willingly receive him into the ship. I see the disciples, that's us. I see the divine, that's him. Number three, notice the destination, that's it. Because notice what the King James says in the last part of our text. When they willingly received him into the ship, what is the very next word? And, said with me, immediately. Say that with me, immediately. You know what that word immediately means? Right now. Let me tell you what it really means. You ready? Did you bring your snapper with you? Hold up your snapper. And all of God's people said, hmm, that's immediately. 
And, and by the way, I didn't get this off of sermonaudio.com. I didn't get this closing illustration by one of them sermon books. This ain't a C.T. Townsend, Mays Jackson, Joe Arthur, nor a David Gibbs illustration. This really happened. I enjoyed that. You said, I bet you wouldn't say that in front of them. Well, I can't in front of Mays Jackson. He did. But I have the other ones, and we all had a big laugh. Notice what the Bible said. And it, and all of God's people said, and that immediately the ship was at the land where they went. Well, you said, what's so big about that? Well, do you remember two hours ago when I first started preaching? <laughs> it ain't been that long, has it, brother? Remember the first part of the text? I told you they had eight miles to go, and they'd only gone four. So they're stuck in the middle and they told all night and their own and only gotten four. But as soon as Jesus got on board, I didn't make that up. I'm reading it right out of the Bible. They had four more miles to go. The first four took them all night. But when Jesus got in his rightful place on their ship, you ready? And all of God's people said, that's a fast boat, baby. That's what the Bible said. Just like that. They were where they needed to be when Jesus got in his rightful place on their boat and in their ship. I believe their destination was reached and I believe their destination was realized. I believe their destination was rewarded. You say, preacher, who all made it? Everyone that got on board. And I believe when they got there, immediately, and all of God's people said, I believe they went, looked back and went, wow. Probably something like this. Well, that wasn't too far. They might have went, well, that wasn't all that bad. That didn't take long at all. Because when you're going through that hurt, when you're going through that sorrow, it seems like an eternity. But when God calms the storm, you ready? We look like Joseph when he named that little boy Manasseh because he'd been to the pit, he'd been to the prison, he'd been to Potiphar's, now he's in the palace. Names that little boy Manasseh, which means the Lord made me forget my toil. And I just got a feeling, children, when we get to the other side, because by the way, Jesus is coming and we're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. You say, how fast is a moment twinkling of an eye? And all of God's people said, I believe when we get on the other side, we'll look back and we'll 
say, that wasn't all that bad. That wasn't all that far. I can't sing anymore since my surgery. In fact, I tell everybody my singing career was over before it got started. So I've been rapping lately. I hope you enjoy this. <laughs> I am from Atlanta, dude. But in closing tonight, I remember the little song in the old-fashioned red book. And the tolls of the road will seem nothing when I come to the end of the way. And the tolls of the road will seem nothing when I get to the end of the way. And if I may quote my hero, Sammy Allen, about the end. Brother Sammy said, hey, friend, there's only one end of this thing, and that's the one you get on at, and there ain't no getting off place. I'm glad tonight our God is still in control. We love you tonight, Jesus. We thank you for the word of God.